This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. Good morning, my name's Steve and um, it's, uh, I just want to add my welcome to you two today, particularly if you're new or if you're visiting, we love um, to have new people here. Now, <clears throat> I normally try and start my preachers with um, an anecdote, normally about my wife, but she's not done anything uh, in the last month for me to mention. And to be honest, I just feel like there's too much stuff that I want to talk about um, this morning, so instead I'm going to set myself a dangerous precedent and start with a prayer. Why don't you just pray with me? So Lord, I just, um, we love you, we love your church, we love that you're for the church, and I just really got a sense, a reminder yesterday that you tell us that we are in spiritual war and that the enemy doesn't want good things for us or for your church, but you also tell us that your name is above all other names, that you want freedom for us, you want fullness for us, you want growth for your church. So I pray that you would give us uh, living words today and ears to hear them. Amen. So if you've not been with us um, the last couple of weeks, we've started a series um, on vision. Um, and this is the first time we've done something like this in our church, and this is really exciting. So you might have had like a vision series, uh, but what it is, is basically we've gone to God and we've said, what is it, God, uh, that you have got for us at this particular time? What is it that you want us to aim at? Now, why it's exciting, as Christians and as a church, we have the same mission, so that never changes. We know that Jesus tells us um, to go and make disciples of all men, um, to baptise them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we have that mission. That never changes. But what vision is, is God saying specifically to us right now what are the things he wants us to aim at. And it's not so much that we become obsessed about these targets that we set ourselves over a period of time. For us, we're saying by the end of 2020. Um, but as much as anything, it's that we're aiming at these things and we feel like the Lord wants us to point in these directions. So it's very exciting. And um, the, the areas that we feel like God has talked to us about um, and given us vision for and goals for are go, give, and grow, because... We believe in a God of alliteration. Uh, and each of these have um, goals underneath them. And these targets, as I said, we're not obsessed about making those targets per se, but we just, in a lot of cases, we would love to exceed them, but we're just looking to aim in those directions. So Howard talked to us last week about Go, which is well worth a listen to on the podcast on the website if you, if you missed it. Not least because Howard obviously is an excellent preacher. Um, but actually because what we don't feel vision about is that that's what God has told the leaders and we're just telling the rest of church, by the way, we're aiming in this direction. Well, that's nice. Maybe I'll be in, maybe I won't. We believe that the vision is that God has given to us right now. We are the church. And actually, if we don't all own it and all take steps towards it, we're not going to get anywhere, particularly with the ones that we're talking about today. And um, we talked about Go um, being this premise of actually we need to be an active church to grab a hold of the things that God has for us. It's not that Jesus said, stay and make disciples for men. He told people to go. And the two targets um, that we felt uh, meet what it is that God has told us to aim for in that are one, I can't which way around I put them, um, to see 20 people saved um, by 2020. And um, in some ways we recognise that that is a low bar, um, but we also recognise that that's not an area we've been particularly fruitful in. So that's one that we would love to exceed, but we're at least aiming in that direction um, and two, we want to have a church plant come out of us by 2020. Um, and that's one that uh, Andy and Vic feel has been put on their hearts. They're looking um, to lead into, and we'll talk about that a little bit more later. 
So that leads us to give, which is this week. Um, now, there are a number of different expressions of giving that the Bible calls us to. So he calls us to give um, our time. He calls us to give ourselves spiritually and emotionally. But primarily the one that we feel like God is talking to us about in the here and now is financially. So some of the principles I talk about will be things that you can stretch to other areas of giving in your life. Um, but that's primarily what we're talking about. And I've been really excited to talk about this um, for a few weeks. One, because I, I just love vision. I love that we've got that big mission. But I get motivated and excited by what it is that God is telling us to, uh, to do in the here and now. Two, I really love what I feel like God is talking to us about at the moment, so that's exciting. And three, I love what the Bible says about money, because it is good news. If you don't know Jesus yet, that's what we've been singing about this morning. Jesus died for your sin, died for our sins. Um, We are headed in a direction towards an eternity apart from him, but if we accept him as our saviour, we've got an eternity in paradise awaiting for us. And in the here and now, we're we're one with the Father, we're one with Jesus, and he's got so much good stuff for us. And I think sometimes Christians can be like, yes, I get that, I love salvation, it's great that like I've ticked off what's going to happen to me after my die. And there are some other elements that I love during life, Um, but then there are also some rubbish bits that come with Christianity, like the do and don't list and like money and stuff like that. But actually, that's not what it's about. Good news is good news for everything. And I, I strongly believe believe um, that it's good news for us in the area of money. When I read the Bible, the things that I see that the Bible says about money, and there's a lot in there, are true. They are things that are true. I would re- I'd happily speak to a non-Christian about stuff that the Bible says about money, because it's just true. You look at verses like, um, you can't have two masters, you can't love one thing and money, you reap what you sow, um, the, the love of money is the root of all evil. That stuff is just true. You can see that in the world. And I think for me, that stirs me up for everything that the Bible says about money is true. And I want to live like that in every area of my life. But in money, I found myself as I'm preparing this. I just really have faith for it. I honestly believe what the Bible says about money is true. Um, which is important because the way that the Bible tells us to manage our money is totally countercultural. You wouldn't do it naturally. So a non-Christian, you might say that stuff to me and say, yeah, I, I can see that. I can see you reap what you sow. I can see how money can be destructive if you love it. Um, but what the Bible tells us to do about that is quite different to what someone in the natural world would want to do. So I'm going to spend a little bit of time talking about why we give and how we give before I talk about our targets. For some people, this will be a refresher. For some of you, this is just going to be some secondhand John Wesley quotes to fill your boots. Um, But some people might not know about this. But wherever you are on money, I just want you to be excited about it. Just remember, this is good news. It might be that today you've come, and actually your situation with money is you're struggling with money or you're in debt. It might be that you've not thought about money for ages, in which case, actually, there's probably an issue there anyway. It might be that you love money. Wherever you are, it's good news for you about money. So why do we give? Um, Allow me to start with the basics. Three simple reasons. One, we're called to give. We're commanded to. This has been always the case. When God called together his people, Israel, as his nation in the Old Testament, he gave them the law, the way to live. And the way that he told them to live, part of that was they were to give um, the first 10% of everything they produced um, to him. And the way that they gave that was that they gave that to one of the tribes of Israel called the Levites, who were basically the church ministers of the day. And they gave their 10% essentially to the church. The Levites themselves, when they took that 10% that people had given to them, also gave 10% on as well. So there's a premise there as well. It wasn't just a function. Um, and in the New Testament, giving is still very much at large. We're, that kind of giving was called tithe, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But the New Testament talks about giving in every way. It talks about giving to churches, church buildings, to support staff, to ministers, to traveling missionaries, to the poor, to each other. We hear that Jesus and his disciples had a money bag, and out of that they gave to the poor. We're told that the New Testament church in Acts, people were selling all their possessions and giving that money to the apostles so they could spread it throughout the church. We're called to give. We're commanded to give. That's one. Two. It all belongs to God anyway. God created everything, so in some ways this is the most straightforward point. Psalm 89 tells us that the whole world and all that is in it belongs to God. Um, So we can say, great, I can understand it, money belongs to him. But actually scripture is way more specific than that. It doesn't allow you to get away with it. Haggai 
tells us that the silver and the gold belongs to God. Okay, so my money belongs to God, but where did my money come from? Well, actually, I earned it because, you know, I got that promotion last year. No, no, because Psalm says promotion belongs to God. That's where that comes from, too. And in case you think that's a leap, we even get in Deuteronomy um, the warning that you may say to yourself that for my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And I was thinking about that with one of my colleagues this week, who he doesn't believe in Jesus, and he was, um, he was telling me some feedback he'd got from someone on his work, and how good it was. And I was like, actually, my mate, he's really good at what he does. But then I was thinking, like, why is he good at what he does? Like, God made him to be who he is, and sure, he chooses to work hard, but st- he doesn't know that yet, or doesn't believe it yet, but God has made him for that. Um, and this means if God, so if the money belongs to God, this means if God tells us to do something with it, such as give it, we should because it belongs to Him. But it also has ramifications for how we use the rest of our money, not just the bit we give as well. It's almost like our tithe or whatever we, we give, that's us saying to God, this belongs to you specially because everything belongs to you in kind of like an ordinary way. You know, like if I just gave my, my tithe, whatever it is, and then you looked at my bank statement and saw what I do with the rest of it, well, you could see maybe that like, when, you could see where my heart is, you could see what I'm about, but actually like God calls us to honour Him in everything with our money. So two, it belongs to God. Number three, we're robbing God if we don't give, but we're getting blessed if we do. When I um, became a Christian, it was in my last year at university, I don't think I'd ever tithed. I certainly um, didn't tithe when I was at university, and I really I really wish I had. I wish I'd tithed in my life. Um, but there was this verse which really started my financial journey with God um, in Malachi, which is um, God speaking to, I think it's Israel, it might be Judah, God, God speaking to the nation, let's say, of Israel, and he says to them, will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? Um, and the nation asks, how are we robbing you? And he says, in tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. Wow, like, we, we really see here how money in the Bible is a win-lose situation. It's not just a case of like, you realise you could get an extra blessing. It's if you don't actually, there's ramifications as well. And I remember when I first heard this word, like, I was telling everyone about it. I was like, just in case you don't know, did you know that like, we're robbing God if we don't give money to him? But if we do, like, we're getting a blessing. Um, and it's really exciting. You know, like, uh, they, they were told to give a tithe in a specific way. Again, we'll talk about what that means for us um, in the New Testament later. But they weren't doing it. And because of that, they were robbing themselves of a blessing. One of my friends goes to a church in London. It's not much bigger than us. And he was telling me that they just bought a building, um, which really excited me. So I was asking him loads of questions about it. And it's just a great story. Um, but he's dropped in kind of towards the end. He's, he doesn't earn a great deal of money. And he just dropped in, but he was like, um, well, obviously we didn't give any money because we don't have a great deal of money. But I was totally like, I'm with you in prayer. And um, I didn't really think about it much at the time. But afterwards, I'm like, he missed a blessing. Like He could have given something. He missed a blessing. It's such a shame that he was robbing himself of a blessing by honoring God in that. And um, this isn't, uh, for me, this is a really key verse because I'm going to exhort people to give, but it's not a trick. It's not a trick. Actually, this is the safest way for us to handle our money. This is the way that we're going to be most blessed if we handle our money is if we give. So those three reasons would be pretty solid reasons to give. And actually, they regularly help me at different points during my journey. They've been the ones that have been key to me. Um, but I feel like there's um, kind of two other reasons which God has really been speaking to me about, about to me which I feel are for us as well as a church at this particular point, and they concern our hearts. So Jesus talks a lot about money. Um, in fact, I mean, the Bible, there's loads of, about money in the Bible, but Jesus talks a lot about it because it's important. Now, money itself is important. And last time how I preached to us on money, we talked about how um, money itself is actually value-free. It's just kind of like this arbitrary item that we have put worth on. You know, like throughout the history of time, governments are always creating new currencies. Um, but it's, so it's not, in a sense, it's not important it, itself. But the reason that Jesus talks about it a lot is because we make it important in the way that we talk about it. 
Jesus, uh, he tells us that we cannot serve two masters. We cannot serve God in our hearts and also money. But looking at us observationally, a lot of the time we are actually doing things which are serving money as well, which means that we're robbing from areas where we can serve God. We cover, which means that we desire things. And you might think, I mean, it's not like I want like a swimming pool of money like Scrooge McDuck. But actually, like you want, you want things that money gives you as well. You want the, you know, you know the, the power that it gives you. You want the things in your house. You want items. You, there, there's, there's this covetousness and there's greed with it as well. One of the reasons people give for not giving their money regularly is people say that they can't afford it. They say, I can't afford my needs and also to give. But as I've been thinking about this, I think that we sometimes get confused between our needs and our wants. Because the Bible talks loads about providing for us, and often we'll quote that and we'll do it to make us feel comfortable that God is about to bring us blessing in a financial area. But actually it always talks about providing for needs rather than wants, and there is a distinction there. Jesus says, you know, do not worry about what you uh, wear or what you're gonna, where you're going to sleep or what you're going to eat. I'll provide for these things. He says, seek first his kingdom, God's kingdom and his righteousness, and these things will be provided for you. He doesn't say, you know, um, don't worry about that amazing portion that will do really good for your job. I've got that covered if you seek the kingdom or, you know, that rug that completes your front room. It's not our wants. It's our needs. And this is important because if you're rich, you can afford wants as well as needs. And if you get confused between where your needs end and your wants start, then you end up distorting scripture and what the Bible is telling us about money. And generally speaking, we are rich. God first, Cheltenham. People of Cheltenham, we are rich. We are. The world's, you might not feel rich, but the world's average salary is £11,000 per year. Most of us are earning more than that. More than a third of the world live on less than $2 a day. Now, I appreciate that not everyone is, is rich in the world. We've all got expenses. Some people will be struggling with money, but, but, there, but it is important for us to know that we're rich. Now, Howard mentioned some of these kind of statistics a while ago, probably something like a year ago, and I think ever since then I've accepted that, like, I am some level of rich. I've kind of accepted, okay, fine, like, statistically I am rich, but on the day-to-day I don't feel like I'm rich. But I was recently challenged that actually I am rich, and I'm certainly rich when it comes to what the Bible says about being rich. I reread um, the story of Jesus and the rich man, and the rich man comes to Jesus... Um, he's a godly man, and he says to Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, you must obey the Ten Commandments. He says, you know, do not cover uh, honor your mother and father. And um, the rich man says, these things I've done since I was born. And Jesus says, we're told that Jesus looks at him and has genuine love for him, more compassion, depending on the, on the, the gospel, um, and says, one more thing you must do to become perfect. You must go home, sell all of your possessions, and give everything you have to the poor. And we're told that the rich man goes home very sad because he's got great wealth. Now, I, I, you know, I must have read that a hundred times before, and I guess what I probably thought was, wow, poor rich man, glad I'm not him because I'm not rich. Because I'm not, am I? But then, actually, I am rich by what the Bible says. I am rich by what the Bible says. I can afford my needs and the needs of my family. My money is going well into my wants. That means that, biblically, I am rich. When I say I'm not rich, it's because I'm comparing myself to people who I consider are rich. Um, but the reality is I am rich. And um, when I realised this, that made me horrified because I was like, surely, the bu- surely there's no way that the Bible is like saying that like you should only spend on what you need and not what you want. And um, when it made me horrified, I realised that was because I have so confused my wants and my needs. And when I realised that, that made me sad. And when I thought I was sad, I was like, huh, I am the rich man in the story. I went away sad from that revelation. And I find myself getting stuck in this loop of what it feels like and helpful questions. Okay, if I accept that I am at least relatively rich, how rich is too rich? You know? Do I feel guilty for having too much? Does my family have enough? How much is enough? What does enough mean? 
If I give, does that make me more spiritual? Because what I'm trying to do is justify, no, no, how those wants possibly can't possibly count as needs. Like, you know, they're like a fourth, they're like utilities. They can't count as needs. They must be wants. But here's a great area where Jesus has come to bring us freedom because it says that Jesus looked at the rich man. Jesus looked at me and felt genuine love. This proverb is what I'm trying to base my heart on money about. Proverbs 30 says, Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise I may have too much in you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. That's who I want to be. And it makes me sad to realize how far away from that. Some people, some people in this room will probably be the people who are on the other end and actually the risk is poverty and you need to be praying for daily bread. But the reality is, most of us are not at the end. Most of us are at danger of disowning God and saying who is the Lord when it comes to money. So it's good for us to give. It's good for our hearts. Now, why? Well, I think it happens in a couple of ways. One of the reasons I think I tailspin to those questions of like how much is enough um, is because I do cover. The Ten Commandments tell us not to cover. Cover is desiring jealously. I definitely do it. I look at people and think, you, you just had like another foreign holiday, like abroad. Like, why do I never seem to get to go abroad? Or like, oh, that's like another new bit of clothing, like all my T-shirts. They really do all have holes in them. I look at people and I cover. Now, John Porter, who's a preacher in, um, in America and who's influenced me heavily when it comes to this preacher, at least, if not when it comes to money, well, and when it comes to money, he calls giving an antidote for covetousness. If you recognize that in you, if you recognize that you like, you spend time thinking, oh, I really want that new car. Like, oh, I just can't wait to like, get a house. Or like, I'm saving up so I can get this, whatever this item is. Giving is an antidote for it. You can't do both things at once. You know, if I've got that money and my desire is for an item or for something that is transient or passing, if I give, I can't afford it. It's almost making a choice for me. And another way that Porter brings up is that it governs ever-expanding spending. It is a human rule that spending expands to fill the income. This is true. Like, when, when Joe and I first got married, we didn't have enough money to put any aside to save for a house. I just didn't worry about a house. That was an expense that I cared about. And then when I bought the house, I was like, oh, this is like the last thing I wanted financially. Like, I will never have to worry about finance again. But it's just not true. Like, I think about, like, should we replace the carpets? There's that room that we've not done yet. We wanted to upgrade this. Now I've bought some more stuff, so I need to insure it. Spending begets spending. If you want to talk to a non-Christian about what the Bible says is true about money, anyone could eat. They, they would struggle to disagree that with spending begets spending. Spending. The more you spend, the more you want to spend. Look at the world and tell me that's not true. John Wesley got money. John Wesley uh, was an 18th century preacher, church leader. He, um, he started the, the Methodism um, movement, nomination. And um, oh, he, um, he's got... Uh, there's, there's some high bar quotes that I've got from him. Uh, this, is, this isn't quite what he said on money because what he actually said on money was fairly archaic in its language, so I've updated it for your benefit uh, to a modern tone. Um, he said... I have to read up there because I've got different. He said, who would spend money in an attempt to satisfy their desires for worldly items or experiences if they knew that by doing so they were actually increasing their desire for those things? If you've got an itch, I've just got to buy that one last thing. I've just got to scratch that itch and it'll be over. That is not how it works. If you scratch that itch, you'll have more itches. Uh, next one. Uh, if you spend money on things that please your senses, you are paying for a love of frivolity to be increased. If you pay money, if you buy things in your life that please your eye, you're increasing your covetousness. When you buy things so that other people will think better of you, that you're fashionable or generous, you're actually buying vanity. He goes on to say, have you not had enough of frivolity, covetousness and vanity in your life? Haven't we had enough of that? 
Do you really need more of that in your life? And are you going to pay so that you can have more of that in your life? John Wesley says, what manner of wisdom is that? Would it not be wiser to literally throw your money in the sea? Now, when I first, when I first read that, I loved it, because that's my type of thing. But I, I was also conscious that it feels a bit harsh. But I think only harsh, and it brings up in me the fact that I am the rich man in that story. And I find those reasons really motivating. Um, I find it really motivated to be um, convicted of something that I feel that the Bible says. Um, but it's, and that's probably the main way I actually get motivated by stuff in general. Um, but it's rare that I'm also as motivated by the positive side of things. But when it comes to money, I really am. So the last reason that I want to give as to why we should give our money is, you know, like, if okay, if we're not meant to spend all our money on ourselves, if, if we're just meant to spend it on our needs, and most of us would probably agree that we're beyond needs and into wants, what is all that money for? 2 Corinthians tells us, give generously, and God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, not all that you want, all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Abounding in every good work, that is what our spare money is for. He has prepared good things for us to do. If you know God, but you're not dead yet, which is most of us in the room, why are we here? This is what Howard asked us last week, like, what on earth are we here for? We are here to do the good works that he has prepared for us to do. And the things that we're looking to do are really exciting. What I love about it is that it's like God's plan for money isn't just to deal with my heart, which is tight and grasping and covetous, and like, loosen my hand on that money, oh, no, it's free, he's dealt with it. He wants to use that money to bless people as well, and we're going to talk about that a little more in a second. So that's why to give. And um, I just want to talk a little bit about how we give as well. Now, um, I'm not going to speak very long on this, mainly because of time. Um, Also because um, we've just had a Vision and Values Day. So most people have probably done that now. Every two or three months, um, there's a chance uh, for a Vision to go to Vision and Values Day, um, which is around Howard's house, Howard and A's house. Um, And we just talk about um, the story of a church, what we're up to and what we're about. And and part of that is is how Christians give. So some of you have just done it. The rest of you who have done it previously have still obviously got those books on your bedside table so you can read them every night. So you'll be familiar with the things that we suggest that a Christian should give or how a Christian should give. And there's stuff in there like generously, we should give liberally, we should give cheerfully, secretly, expectantly, with wisdom out of what we have, although at times we'll be pushed. But there's just um, there's one that I want to touch on in particular, well, kind of two, which is um, uh, regularly and proportionally. So I've mentioned tithe a couple of times. Now, tithe is something that people get a little bit flustered about. Because different church preach different things, you might have different opinions about it. Um, one of the things you'll quite commonly hear is people say, like, well, you know, tithe, tithe was something that was in the law, so it's an Old Testament thing. They were told that they have to give, they were commanded to give 10%. We don't live in the law anymore by grace. And if you have heard that line of argument, you'll probably have heard the grace response, which is, that's right, hallelujah, now we can give as much as we want. 10% is just a guideline. Um, <clears throat> but we sh- I think grace, when it comes to money, should make us looser on this and also tighter as well. So in terms of making us looser, that's how I feel about it. I don't feel like I'm under law when it comes to giving. I don't feel like um, that thing that I mentioned at the beginning of like, you know, like I get salvation, but there's some stuff which is really hard about Christianity, which money is one of them. That's not how we should feel when it comes to grace. Jesus has freed us from that. But we also want to feel tighter. That's what grace makes us do. Grace makes us realize Jesus has made it easy for us to be in the presence of the Father. He has got an eternity of abundance laid out for us. And in the meantime, he's given us an abundance of good deeds to get involved in. And I want to do everything I can to make everyone I know who doesn't know Jesus become someone who knows Jesus. And I want to do that through my speech and through my actions and in my social time and at work. And I want to do it with my money. Why not? Money is a tool we've got in our box. Now, I guess it also means that because we think it's a guideline, um, it'll probably be different things for different people. So, 
Joe and I stuck to the 10% guideline for a long period of our life, and I think that was really good for us. We believed to do it before, ta- um, before tax. Um, our, my reading of it, what the Bible says, is also but like because I want to honour God with my the rest of my money because it all belongs to Him in an ordinary way as well. Out of that, I also want to give to other things as well. So I want to give to the poor. But that was that was how we set up. Um, but <clears throat> it's worth us talking about proportionality here as well. So um, John Piper, the guy who I mentioned previously, in his art, he called his article on money um, towards tithing and beyond tithing, and he called it towards tithing because. He was preaching to his church. He recognised that a lot of people in the room, and this would be the same for us, probably aren't at the stage of tithing yet. But he also, which is to say, I suppose, regularly giving a percentage of your income. But he also called it beyond tithing, because in a crying world like ours, the more you make, the less ideal becomes the principle of 10%. Now, this is something I felt really challenged on recently. The reality for me is that if me and Joe give 10% of our income pre-tax, we have got more than enough to spend on the, our needs and the needs of our family as well. We've got more than enough. We're going into one. So the reality is, actually, I can be quite comfortable in that position. Now, part of that is because of the grace of God. He's stripped back some areas of covetousness in my life. So, you know, I've never been at the playing field where I consider going on a really expensive cruise or having multiple cars or having a luxury mansion. So I've never really coveted that stuff. But there's stuff that's within my reach or just beyond it, which I think the grace of God has stripped that from me. Now, I still cover stuff. Um, but that means that I find myself in a situation where if we were to just give 10%, I've got 90% left of our combined salaries. And what is it? You know, it's not like, well, hey, like I can do what I want with this. That's not comfort for me. Is it, is it the case that I don't think that there are enough things to give to or in this crying world of ours that I can't also bless things? Is it that I don't think that extra money can be a gift? Now, I'm not the richest or poorest person in this room. So I know that for some people, actually, if you gave 10%, that would be a massive, massive deal. For some people, if you gave 5%, that would probably be the equivalent of us giving more. I don't know. You know, you, you do the math without any figures. Um, <laughs> but there's something here about proportional giving. And I think the Lord really wants to get a hold of us on this at the moment. My boy John Wesley. <clears throat> the reason I bring up John is because we want to aim high. So these things feel like a really high bar. What I don't want people to hear is I can never attain to that, so I feel condemned, or I'm not even going to bother trying. I'm not going to be John Wesley tomorrow. I'm still going to buy a chocolate bar at work probably every day this week. Um, that definitely qualifies as... It's, it's disgusting. Um, just eat it on my own, crying. Um, but I want to aim for it. When I read this stuff about John Wesley, I'm like, yes, I, I believe that's something worth aiming for. John Wesley and these figures are rough, when he started, uh, he was in 18th century, when he started earning, his first salary was something like £32 a year, and um, he worked out that he could get by on £30 a year, so he gave £2 away. Now, the Lord was really on John Wesley, and um, his, his ministry really grew, he was really in demand as a preacher, and so a couple of years later, it had gone, his salary had gone up exponentially, it was something like £60 a year, so something like twice as much. But he had already committed that his needs were met by £30, so he still spent that, and he gave away about 50% of his salary, which sounds amazing, right? By the end of his career, he was earning £1,400 a year and living on £30 a year because he had committed that that was what his needs were. And this was such an elaborate... I mean, you know, you did maths for me, that's a big percentage of his salary, right, Rich? Um, the tax map, the tax commissioner investigated him because they assumed that he must be buying silver and not declaring it, so not paying excess tax on it. And um, in, this, in this investigation, he wrote to the taxman and said, I have two silver spoons at London and two at Bristol. This is all the plate I have at present, and I shall not buy any more while so many around me want bread. Wow. Boom. Come on, John. He, in a preach to his church, he said, with your money, 
You first need to look after your needs, your needs, not your wants. Then you need to look after the needs of your family, your needs, their needs, not their wants. Then you want to look after the good of the church, and then you want to look after the good of all mankind. And I look at that and think, man, I'm probably, I'm not getting past point two. Actually, I'm probably not even getting past point one. Is it just a need thing? Now, what I don't want, this isn't a perverse incentive. What we're not trying to do is have a rat race to the bottom to see who can give the most dangerously. Like, we believe what we want to get out of wisdom. But I want to be challenged by this. This is, this is my last John Wesleyism. He told people, whenever you're about to, to pay for something, ask yourself these two questions. One, can I offer up this action, this expense, as a sacrifice to God through Jesus? Two, have I a reason to believe that for this very work I shall get a reward in heaven? Oh, it's big, isn't it? There's no condemnation in this, but let's point the trigger at this target. So that's how we give. Uh, there's more to it, but that's what I feel like God is talking to us about at the moment. Um, so I hope that stirred your face. I, I love it. I love what God does with money. I think the thing I love most is that thing that like I said of his plan. You, you know, I look at how money is destructive in the world and what the Bible says about money is true in terms of that destruction, how the love of it is the root of all evil. And um, I look at him, I look at what the Bible says and I think Jesus has got this plan for us so that we can be freed from that. That's not a trick. It's actually so that we can be free in every area of our money. But not just that. He says, I want to use this money, which in so many situations is so destructive, and I want to bless abundantly with that. I just love it. That is a restorative God. So where are we at? Well, Howard talked to us a couple of weeks ago um, about what Jesus might write to us if he was writing to us like one of the Old Testament churches. And we think we're doing all right when it comes to money. It's great to be able to talk about money and not, you know, this isn't like a rebuking thing. I'm not about to like run around with a bucket um, smacking people over the head with it. Like we're in a good place. We are, our average income, the amount that we take in as a church each money, which is the amount that we give, not the amount that you give to the leaders like leaders give us to. As a body of believers, the amount we're giving is about the highest it's ever been. We had a gift day last year towards a, an extra member of staff, which we'll talk about more in a little bit. Um, and we got just about the target that we're aiming for with that as well. I think we're doing all right with money. But I feel like God wants so much more for us. I really feel like what God is saying to us about money is challenge and about blessing. There's joy in this. When Howard asked us uh, a couple weeks ago when he was preaching, what do you think God would commend us in? And he got us to all chat in twos. Pretty much everyone said community. That was the obvious answer. Wouldn't it be great if one of the obvious answers was money? Wouldn't it be great if you said, how do you think we're doing as a church on money? And you're like, I guess okay. Wouldn't it be great if we're like, money is one of the things we're doing really well in. We just receive it. A big part of Joe and I's um, walk with money was in our last church, Kerif, in Bracknell, which uh, for a number of decades was run by Naomi's dad, who's a man who just has faith for money. And he took it from a handful of people and into this uh, thousands of people. And they had that own building, which cost something like three million um, to build. So we went in and we were living off the back of the work that people put in. But they just continued doing it. When we joined, they were halfway through paying for a project that they were doing with Tear Fund, a Christian charity, to build some dormitories in Africa. And they gave something like half a million towards that. At the beginning, they said we might be able to give 100,000. They gave like half a million. And you just got caught up in it. I've still got a line in my budget for where we gave some to Serenji um, on a month-by-month basis we commit to a certain amount. You just got it. And when I went there, I was, my church before that was amazing in lo- loads of ways. But when it came to money, they were always asking for more because we were always running out of money. And I don't know what that was about, but I went to Kerif and I was like, there is joy in this. This is a generous church. You just It's seeping out of everywhere. Because they decided to become a generous church and then taking the actions towards it, they were blessed abundantly with money. And they always had more to give. And maybe that's that thing in the Bible of if you can be trusted in a small thing, you can be trusted with more. I think there's that for us. I honestly do. I think there's that for us. It's challenging, but I also think that we, I think God's got that for us, that we, we can be a church who people can say they are smashing it with money. 
Howard went to an advanced conference um, a couple of weeks ago, or a couple months ago now, and um, a guy called Shesh was there who runs a church in Dar es Salaam, which is a church plant as part of our network. We give money to that monthly. You'll have seen some of the videos of feedback of it. And um, uh, they're looking, they've not been going very long, but they're already looking to plant a church service which uh, is in Swahili, which isn't, um, I don't know what they're normally. Normally, so we've got an English service, but we've got loads of Swahili speakers. So we put on a Swahili service, and they did it with interpreter on stage, and it was just rubbish. It killed the atmosphere. The time lag was too long. So they're basically talking about doing it with headphones and having consecutive translation, interpretation. And um, Howard sat down with Shesh and said, well, have you thought about how many, you know, how many you're going to need, how much they're going to cost? And it's something like about a 1,000. And um, we committed to give that. And um, when I heard that, I was just like, that stirs my faith. Like, whether you agree that we're rich or not, we are. Whether you agree whether what the Bible says about us being rich or not, we are. You can say, yeah, we're definitely richer than that church in Dar es Salaam. That's awesome. That stirs my faith. I want to be a church that is just like absolutely gunning for it. Like, yeah, we can fund that. That is the gospel. We can fund that. Corinthians 9 says, this service that you perform, this is Paul speaking to a giving church, is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourself, Selves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and everyone else. There is a wealth of blessing for the church that gives. There's just so much. It is a win, 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 win situation. Yes. Everyone wins from it. And don't we want this? We love Jesus. We love that he loves us. I want glory to be brought by his name. I Honestly, it's, this isn't like a tick box exercise. This is for glory to be brought to his name. So what are we aiming at? What are our goals? Because... You just had your face stirred, and obviously your pockets are burning, and you want to know what you're going to put your money towards when you get home and sell all of your possessions. We've got two goals that we want to see. One is um, we want, um, as a church, our income to increase by 20% over the next year. And two is, as a church, we want to be giving 20% of what we get by 2020. Now, two things. One... Uh, when you put things back into figures or into statements about money, it sounds a little bit Excel spreadsheet and a little bit mundane. This is not mundane. This is the practical application of the things that the Bible says are amazing about money. Um, and also, the other thing is, even if this is a day-to-day mundane thing, I think that's actually where I need help. That's where I need gospeling. Like, it's okay for us to talk about it and get excited about it. It is the day-to-day where I need to be stirred up and where I need this to churn through stuff in my heart and where I need to be an abundant blessing. So let's look at them separately. One for our income to increase um, as a church by 20%. What does that mean? So that literally means the amount of money that we give, again, this isn't that you give to the leaders, the leaders give us, we are one body. The amount of money that we give to go up by 20% within the next year. Why do we want that? <clears throat> we talked last year about wanting a second full-time member of staff. Now, this is something you might not have heard about. We had a gift year last uh, last year, and we looked at some people who might be able to do it. We'd not found the right one at the moment. We think there might be the right one just around the corner, and maybe it's the grace of God that that hadn't happened yet. But we feel like this is something we really need to press in for. It. If we had uh, zero growth um, going forward from now, we'd probably be able to afford him for a year or something, and then all our savings were gone. If we're going to sustainably afford him, then we need to increase our income. Now, that can sound a little bit boring. That can just sound a little figure or someone to help Howard with the photocopying. That is not where this has come from. <laughs> Although that would be nice, because it's a burden. Um, maybe that should be another goal. Uh, 
<coughs> this hasn't come from the fact that we're interested in helping Howard with his photocopying. This has come from the fact that we want to grow as a church. We want to grow as a church. We want to see Jesus glorified. We want to do more stuff. It feels like, to me, that one of like our favourite verses in church at the moment is that one about, let us not be like the man who looks in the mirror and then looks away and forgets his face. And it feels like we're doing that a bit. It feels like we recognise where God is challenging us, and we hear it a lot, but a lot of the time we just don't have the capacity to do those things. And then we talk about it six months later, and we feel like we're in the same place. We feel like an extra staff member would massively help us with that. At the moment, we've got one full-time staff member and three people who do some part-time, and then it's just the rest of us using our time. And it's great that we can use our time, but this will grow us on. We really want this, and it's really important that we get hold of this. It's really important that we don't think of this as Howard gets an extra staff member, but this is us. This is us looking to be a growing church. So that's the primary reason we want to increase our income by 20%. Secondary one is we want to give more as well, and that leads us on to the second target as well, which we want to give 20%, give away 20% by tw- by, of our income by 2020. And, and just to clarify, in case you missed that, in case I, and I, it wasn't clear to begin with, what we're not, that's for church giving away 20% of its income. What we're not saying is we want every person in the room to give away 20%, because aside from anything else, we talked about proportionality. There'll be some people who maybe don't give regularly. If you would start giving 5%, that'd be as much pressure on you as it might be on me and Joe giving. Oh, no, we don't know that. You do, again, you do the math. You, you know, like this proportionality thing, that's what we're saying for. If everyone gave, te- I don't know, if everyone gave 10 or 12%, then we'd probably be doing that anyway. So it's, it's not about that specifically. It's about the church giving away 20%. Why do we do that? Well, firstly, we get away, away, look, already give away um, more than 10%. Um, the, uh, the key one in terms of like why we wanted it by 2020 is because we're looking to church plant. We talked about this last week. Um, and it's going to be a really big, a really big cost. It's going to be a really big thing. And the thing about church planting being one of our targets is there would be real ease for us to think like, oh, we've ticked off a target and I didn't even have to do anything. It's just like five or six people who have to do something. Maybe 10. Don't know how many you're taking, Andy. Um, 20. There you go. 20 people in church. Um, <clears throat> it'd be really easy for us to do that, but we don't want to do that. This is our church plan. We want to own it. We want to be a part of it. We want to be praying for it. We want to be involved spiritually. We want to be involved practically, and we sure want to be involved financially as well. If we are the mother that is birthing that child of a church plant, we want to be a mother that provides for her child. Now, they're going to have to look for provision too, but we want to bless them richly. Um, I think probably some people in the world would look at us trying to increase our income and trying to increase our giving, trying to get any more of staff whilst giving away a church plant, and think that's foolishness. Um, but I think sometimes the gospel we're told is foolishness to the world, and I really think that these are things that God has for us. So that's a primary thing for us. We want to really get a hold of that. But we want to give more than that as well. Like this, I want to have more stories like Dar es Salaam. That inspires my faith. I want to be a part of a church that is giving like that. There's our, our church friends in Tony Pandy. They're about to plant again. We give to them monthly anyway. We want to give to that. There's a, a, is there a new, church, a new, new church plant in Cardiff as well? Yes. I'd love to give to that. £1,000 to reach a whole people group, the Swahili speakers in Dar es Salaam. That is money worth paying. Social action, we've been talking about this for a while and we're going to be talking about that more next week. We want to give. So those are the two targets we're aiming for. And um, now we come to, I I guess response in some ways is fairly obvious. There's any number of reasons why you can give. We talked about why we give individually and that is really instructive because we're talking about what we're giving to corporately. We want to get really behind these things. We want to get excited by them. Um, but we need to be the ones who are giving. And, there, and there's two ways that we feel practically that we're being called to meet those very practical goals. So number one is um, we're looking to hold another gift day. So we held one last year um, for uh, to, to get um, 
some of the wages in for this new full-time member of staff. That's not happened yet. As I said, um, that's maybe a grace thing. And we said that we would hopefully pay for the rest of that guy out of church growth. Now, the truth is we've just not had enough church growth. Our giving has gone up. Um, and our numbers have come up. We've just not got enough at the moment. Now, a big part of that will be us increasing our tithe to meet that from a sustainability perspective. Um, but we also will probably need something to tie us over. So we would, part of what we'll be doing as a gift day is looking towards giving towards us getting a new member of staff, which we honestly believe is going to grow us as a church. Part of that gift day will also go towards Vic and Andy as well and the church plan that we're going to do there. So we're essentially calling it uh, a vision fund. Now, it feels very vulnerable telling you that we're going to have a gift day. <laughs> Um, and when I was thinking about gift days, I thought about how there's this almost misconception that gift day feels like this thing that we all just would rather is not there and get out of the way. Now, I don't think that's true for everyone, but these were some of the thoughts that were going through my head whilst I was eating my chocolate bar. Is that we think about it and we just think it feels hard to say it. Then you have to go home and you have to have conversations. And I know from experience that they can lead to arguments. So they feel like difficult conversations to have. And then we all have to hope that we're giving enough to meet the target. We want to hit targets. Um, and in general, it feels like something we want to get out of the way. But I was thinking there is nothing else in life that you think is worth saving for. That that's how you feel about it. Like when, we, when we've been getting, a, when we got over the line to a house, um, and I, you know, I, I wish my heart had been slightly different at it. But we was, when we were like right at that last hurdle and we needed to get the last bit of deposit, what we weren't doing is like, I'm hating gift day for this. We were excited that we can afford it. That's how we want to be about these things. These, are, these things are worth us giving money towards. We want to be excited towards and we want to bless the work of Jesus through our church and we want to bless the work of Jesus through the church plant as well. So we're going to have that special offering uh, in four weeks' time, which is the 15th of October. Um, we've got these little... Uh, forms, which looks something like this. Um, and what we want people to do is to go away and read these. They're going to be given out as, as we leave. And think about them um, and pray about them and think what you might be able to commit towards it. There's going to be a number of different ways we can do it. Um, so you can uh, say specifically what you're, that you're giving towards a vision day. Something that Joe and I did in the last church when we joined Carif and we joined this giving fund towards Africa um, is we were like, we, don't, we didn't have a lump sum of money, but we got so carried up in it, even though we'd only be there a couple of weeks, that we desperately wanted to give. So we committed to giving a certain amount over a certain period of time. I think we just gave like a tenner a month for like a year or something like that. Um, which, you know, if you'd said, can you give 100 quid? We're like, absolutely not. We, we just didn't have it there. Um, and that's one of the things we're looking at doing with this as well. So gift day is one. And number two is... We need to we need to increase our giving. Um, we want to be challenged in that. So I'd really encourage you to pray and talk. If it's something that you've never done, thinking about reassessing, I just really encourage all of us to be people who reassess our giving regularly. Like I don't know, it could be a year. We we start doing it more frequently that. But it's a good thing to do because chances are, if you're not thinking about money, you'll end up in a comfortable situation. And you're never going to be stretched on it, and you're not going to receive that. You're going to be robbing yourself of a blessing, and you're going to be increasing your covetousness. So they had this really helpful thing at my last church, which I'm just going to tell you about, which is if you've never given before, can I just encourage you to think about giving? Just encourage you to look at this scripture and think about it and pray about it and just try giving. If you give, uh, but you give them frequently, can I encourage you to think about becoming a regular giver? Don't necessarily put a percentage on that. Just work out what in your heart you're cheerful to give and give that. If you're a regular giver, I'd encourage you to become a tither. 10%, as I said, we're not living under law anymore, but it was a great guideline for us. It really moved us on. But if you're a 10% giver, can I just encourage you to think about giving sacrificially and about giving proportionally? That's where I feel challenged at the moment. We're doing okay in this, but let's be excellent. If we disappeared as a church, we'd want to make ourselves one that was noticed. We want to be a spectacle for non-believers to look at and see undeniably Christ or madness. 
For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.